Good morning. It's kind of a funny thing that I'm up here this morning. Uh, if you've noticed, we've taken a break from Daniel. And when Tommy started the series on Daniel, he said, you know what? I think when it comes to Daniel chapter 7, I may just take a week off and let you take over because in Daniel chapter 7, that's where things get weird. <laughs> Daniel and Lion's Den, I can do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can do that. Daniel chapter 7, Tommy can do that next week. So we're going to be taking uh, a break uh, from that. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, we have gifts that we have gotten you. Uh, so on your way out this morning, uh, there are, will be gifts on the benches back here. So kids, uh, make sure you grab one for uh, your mom and hand them to her. And on your way out, you guys can uh, get those. So my mom was here just a couple uh, of weeks ago. And what a blessing she is. I'm actually going to get to see my family twice this month, which is very rare since they live in the Midwest. But being with family is kind of a crazy thing. You can't wait until you are all together. And then once you are for a while, you can't wait to get back to normal life. And I don't know if it's just me or not. I suspect it isn't. But when we're around either my brother's family or my brother-in-law's family, I have this need or this desire to prove them that I am raising my kids just right. And it kind of rears its ugly head in three different ways that I'm not proud of, I'm just being honest. One, I become overly harsh toward my own children. I expect perfection. Two, I end up looking down on my own siblings when their kids fail or don't meet the overly harsh expectations. Three, I love hearing compliments especially ones that compliment my kids, maybe while revealing the failures of others. I know, it's a terrible thing. And it's not something that I set my mind to do, I just find myself doing it. And over the years, I've worked hard to do this less and less and truly enjoy the time that we have together so that when we are, it's something we can remember and not something that we dread because dad was always out of line. But if I'm honest, the comparison game of how we raise our family or how I raise my family is how it starts, but it's definitely not where comparison ends. All week, I find myself when I'm with them competing and comparing with them in my mind. How well are they doing on their careers versus mine? How's their marriage? Have they stayed in shape? How much do they know about this particular topic? What cool things do they own that I need to add to my Christmas list? How much hair do they have? <laughs> Forget it. Don't compare that one. There is no upside. Have you ever been there before? Been down that road where you compete with people that you were never meant to compete with, where you make yourself feel better because of the failures of others, or worse, because of their successes. And rather than rejoicing that you are with them, that you are with family or friends and helping one another out, you are at least mentally trying to get a leg up on the rest. And it's scenarios like this that have caused me to think about the verses that we're going to take a look at this morning. The first one is going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to do verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to go back to 1 Samuel that was read in our scripture reading. There's so much in this passage, in the Hebrews passage, that we won't have time to unpack today. But look at what the text says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The writer says this, he says, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. You see, as believers, we are called to run with perseverance the race that has marked, been marked out for us. And we don't have a choice whether or not to run, but we've entered into this race when we became followers of Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews, he says, you need to run the race in a certain way. And he qualifies it. He says, you run the race fixing your eyes on Jesus, the originator and the finisher. Run the race. And I want you to keep this uh, idea of running the race in mind as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9 that Jaden just read to us. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbers and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain, refrain displeased him greatly and they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands? What more can he, being David, get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. My old NIV actually says Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Because what I want you to do is I want you to see these two passages in parallel. In parallel. Here we have the writer of Hebrews telling us to run the race that has been set before us by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Yet here we have Saul, and because of his comparison that these women had made between him and David, he's no longer focused on his race, his assignment, but instead on the lane of the person who is running next to him. The comparison was so strong that it focused Saul, that it caused Saul to focus all his attention on David. And I'm preaching to myself uh, I'm preaching to myself today. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 7. Chapter 10, verse 7. After, um, after Samuel talks to Saul, he says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be, charged into, you will be changed into a different person. And once these signs are fulfilled... Do whatever your hand finds you to do, Saul, for God is with you. You see that Sam, Saul was set apart and God was going to be with him. He had that promise and Saul started his race well until he was more concerned about being the king than worshiping the king of kings. For twice he had rejected the word of the Lord in favor of doing what he wanted to do. And you'll see those in class today. And so Samuel tells him, after 
uh, he did what he wanted to do, that the kingdom has been torn from you today and it has been given to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. And all the while, there was this little shepherd boy who was being prepared for when he was going to, for when he was going to come on the scene. And when he came on the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 45 and 46, I think I accidentally deleted some of my notes. When he came on the scene, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And the crowds cheered. When David came on to think, came onto the scene, he was the most watched YouTube clip of the year. The women began to sing, and it became a musical, a Spotify sensation. David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. And I believe that it was at this moment that Saul realized David was that neighbor who was going to take over the kingdom. Speaking of Saul, preacher Bob Madu, he put it this way. He said, if the brightness of the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it is no longer a blessing, but a curse. If the brightness of the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it is no longer a blessing, but a curse. Saul was given a tremendous blessing, but it got too big for him, and he began to look at different things and think that he had a better way, and it went downhill from there. My football coach in high school, his name was Coach Means, and as I was reflecting on this, I don't know if that was his name because he was mean or that was actually his name. I'm pretty sure it was actually his name. But he would always yell at us these two words, alignment and assignment. Alignment, meaning where am I supposed to be before the ball is snapped? If we made a mistake, where were you supposed to line up? Alignment. Assignment. What am I supposed to do once the ball is snapped and the play starts? I need to align correctly. And then I have an assignment to do when the ball is start, when the ball is snapped. In the game of life, where God has placed you alignment and what role you are supposed to fill is the assignment. Where has God aligned you to be and where has God assigned you to be? When David came on to the scene, Saul had a jealous eye on David, And if you look in the, just the following verse, verse 10, it says, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in hand. Church, if we allow it, Satan will use this idea of comparison to attack, to steal, to kill our contentment, and cloud God's calling in our life. If we allow it, Satan will use this idea of comparison to attack, steal our joy, kill our contentment, and cloud God's call in our life. 
It was just last night during dinner. One of the girls had candy for dessert. After she got done, uh, she had asked for candy uh, for dessert, and we said, yeah, uh, that's fine. Uh, there's some candy in the basket, which, by the way, this church supplies our household with candy year-round. By the time that they empty their uh, Halloween candy, it's time for, you know, the next event, Christmas, and then Easter. And so we always have candy coming from this congregation. But she had asked for candy, and we said, sure, go for it. And when she went to her basket, she picked out her favorite, and she was over the moon until she saw that her other sister not only had a piece of candy, but she also got a piece of cookie that she hadn't finished from earlier. When she compared what she had with what her sister had, she no longer had joy in what she was given. Well, why does she also get a cookie? Addie? Oh. (laughs) Didn't mean to do that one. But Addie, you were happy until you saw what it was that she had. Comparison kills our joy. Comparison is a cancer to our contentment. It has this ability to slowly eat away at your life almost without notice, that you find yourself comparing yourself with others, with what they have, with what you don't, with what they're able to do, with what you can't. And it eats away and it kills your life. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need And I know what it is to have plenty, for I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What was Paul's secret? He focused on what he had in Christ and not on what he doesn't have in this life. He focused on what he had in Christ and not on what he didn't have in this life, because when he wrote those words, He was in prison. There was no reason to have contentment. But comparison can be a cancer. It can kill what we were created and what we were designed and what we were designed to do. Moms, on this Mother's Day, I want to free you from having to look at other moms to figure out what you need to be and what you need to be doing. Classic example where it seems there is no right answer is the, do I stay at home and be with my kids or do I go to work and help provide for the family? It's almost one of those where there is no win. If you stay at home, you clearly don't care about your family enough to support financially. Or if you've chosen to work, you clearly don't care about your family enough because you're not around during the day. There is no Winning, And I want to let you know, because we've dealt with it in our own house, that if you have chosen to be a stay-at-home mom, do it to the best of your ability. And don't think of yourself any less because of what other moms have chosen to do. Or if you've chosen to be a working mom, do it to the best of your ability. And don't think less of yourself because of what other moms have chosen to do. Because each of you, you are no more or no less of a mom, but it may seem like it when we see what other moms end up doing. And it's a fight that you cannot win because there is no winning when you begin to compare with one another. 
when I was in seventh grade, and I may have shared this story before, but when I was in seventh grade, it was my very first track meet, and I had three other guys with me, and we were doing the four by 100, which means you have a baton that you hand off to one another, and we all thought we were pretty good, um, but we weren't really good up here. Every single one of us lined up in a different lane when we started the race around the track. So the first guy, he was in lane two, the second guy in lane three, the third guy in lane two, and the fourth guy in lane five. I mean, it was an absolute mess, okay? And when you run a race, you need to stay in your lane. If you take three steps on the line or out, they will disqualify you. And as we were running the race with the baton, it was handed off to the first guy, and what we noticed was none of us are lined up in the same lane. So as you saw them coming around, you'd be telling the other guys to move so that you could get the baton. And what ends up happening, I was the fourth runner, is that when I got the baton, I had no idea where I was supposed to be. So I grabbed the baton, and we were in first, so I ran, and I zigzagged through all three lanes. Because <laughs> I had no idea what it was that I was supposed to be doing. I completed the race, but in the end I got disqualified because I didn't know what it was that I was supposed to be doing or where I was supposed to be going. Completing the race in the wrong lane led to a disqualification. And I think with Saul, when he saw David and he knew that David was that neighbor that was gonna take care of the kingdom, or that was, the kingdom was going to be given, as he was running down his lane, his head was cocked to the right, looking at David, and not focusing on what he was called and what he was supposed to be doing. And I believe that if Saul had chosen a different route, I think it would have ended up okay for him. And here's why. When Moses was no longer able to enter into the promised land because of a mistake that he made, and he knew that he was not going to go, and God called him to watch over Joshua, right, to mentor him, what did Moses do? He prepared Joshua. He prepared him in a way where Joshua could do it maybe even better than Moses could. He understood his place. He understood what he was called to do, and he raised Joshua in a way where Joshua could watch him and where Joshua can succeed in his calling of life. And I do believe that if Saul had known, okay, the kingdom's been torn away, but it doesn't mean my life is over, let me help David. I think it would have ended up differently than Saul. But he got so consumed with what David was doing, what God had blessed and what God had given David, that he ran with his head cocked to the right because he was focusing on David and completely missed out on what he was able and on what he was able to do. He focused on the wrong, he focused on the wrong lane. How do you get over comparing? What's the secret to not looking to the left, not looking to the right, but looking down your lane and doing what it is that you've been called to do, your assignment, your alignment? I think the only way is what the Hebrews of writer says. You run the race, fixing your eyes on Jesus. You are focusing so strongly on Jesus that everything around you grows strangely dim. 
that you're so consumed with what he has prepared before you, what he looks like, what he has envisioned for your life, that those who are around you, the things they have, don't have, the things that they do, they begin to darken, and you don't worry about it because you know, I have a race, I've chosen to run, and I've chosen what my goal is, and I'm going to focus on Jesus. You see, because what we pay attention to is the very thing that we will succeed at. If I focus on others, I may succeed in what they are called to do, but I won't succeed in what I am supposed to do. And so I want to pay attention to Jesus because then I know that I will succeed. There are plenty of secular articles that talk about the negative impacts of comparing, um, that, are, that talk about the negative impacts of comparing. You can go online, you can search. But to me, the biggest antidote to fight comparison really is spiritual in nature. The reason that I can fight comparing one another is knowing that my creator has given me everything that I need, placed me where he wants me to be, and given me the abilities I have to succeed in who and what he has called me to do. That ultimately what keeps me from comparing is trusting that God has given me everything that I need. When I compare with others, big, small, mega big, it shows that I don't trust him. It shows that I don't trust that what he has provided is enough. We fix our eyes on Jesus like the Israelites did with the pillar of fire and the cloud. They didn't know exactly where it was headed, but they trusted that if they were in sync with it, with his movements, then whatever lies in the path would be taken care of. That if they just followed the cloud, if they just followed the pillar, then God was going to take care of them. And I don't need to know everything that is going to come up in my life, but I need to know that I'm following the one who can take care of everything that is coming up in my life. Do your goals, do your ambitions, do they focus on you? Do they focus on someone else? Or are you looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the originator and the finisher? you look at the top of your handout, the blank is on purpose. On blank mark. Have you ever been in a race? What's the word that goes in there? On your mark. Get set, go. But I've left it blank on purpose because I want you to fill out whether you are going to run the race on your mark or if you're going to run the race on his or her mark. And you can take a little moment of being honest with yourself and saying, have I been focusing on what God has placed me to do or have I been focusing on somebody else? So at the top of that handout, on your mark or on his or her mark? 
you ever want to be confused about what God has called you to do, focus on what God has called someone else to do. If you ever want to be confused what your role in life is, focus on what God has called someone else to do. Comparison ultimately leads us to distraction and to destruction. And I think I found out where all my notes went. There is enough grace for the race. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. Okay. When I wrote the notes in there, everything that went in your bulletin went on a separate sheet on my (laughs) iPad. I'm going to... There's enough grace for the race even for me as I stand up here and blabber a little bit. There's enough grace where God allows you, maybe as you haven't run it perfect or done it right or looked to the right or looked to the left, that he gives you the grace that you need to keep on moving forward as he clarifies who you are to be in him. Let's stand and sing. I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow 